Historically, people with an intellectual disability have been treated only as a subject of research. But a shift over the last two decades has led to a rise in inclusive research. This is where people are not only able to have their own unique voices heard in scientific study, but are also able to be involved as co-researchers. Welcome back to the Medical Republic. I'm Francine Crimmins. This episode, I'll be joined by Professor Eva Stanadova, who is a lead researcher at the Disability Innovation Institute at the University of New South Wales. While her main work is primarily in empowering people with disability to negotiate life transitions, and this is mainly through their educational experience, it also crosses over into how people with intellectual disability experience inclusivity in their general life. And this often occurs with their engagement through the health system. Professor Eva Stradanova, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Francine. And can you explain your research project to us a little bit more? My research is uh, particularly focused on issues relevant to people with intellectual disability and autism. Um, So I've explored uh, uh, topics such as parenting um, of people with intellectual disabilities, transitions that they experience across their lifespan, being transitioned from home to school, uh, from primary to secondary school, from secondary school to post-school life. Um, but also, uh, for example, transition to uh, retirement or to uh, older age. Um, I've been also exploring other topics such as sexuality education, so their uh, their inclusion, social inclusion, and how, for example, mobile technology can assist um, to their increased inclusion. Um, And uh, my research is underpinned by inclusive research, which is... Um, an approach in which uh, people with intellectual disability are researchers, are co-researchers, not just participants in studies. And to start with, you're a world leader in inclusive research. Would you start by explaining what inclusive research means in case people haven't heard of this concept before? Um, uh, Inclusive research is um, about people with disabilities and specifically people with uh, intellectual disabilities uh, being uh, involved in the research not only as participants, but actually as researchers. And what makes inclusive research different in the process of actually doing the research compared to other research models? It is really based in the uh, in the movement of nothing about us uh, without us, um, meaning that uh, issues relevant to people with intellectual disabilities uh, should not be explored by people who do not have that lived experience. Um, in uh, so in this process. People with intellectual disability co-design the research. Um, They really are discussing with the academic researchers uh, what is is the topic of the research and how relevant it is to their lives, but also then um, co-design the whole uh, methodological approach and conduct conduct the study with them. I can tell you example of such research from my own experience. I've been engaged in inclusive research for quite many years now. Uh, And um, 
one of the studies, for example, that I have uh, been engaged uh, lately, focused on sexuality education for students with intellectual disabilities. Um, and uh, I've been conducting this uh, study together with Julie Loblinsk, who is my uh, dear colleague uh, and friend. She is a self-advocate um, uh, herself has uh, intellectual disability and is mother of three children and uh, has worked all her life in supporting other people with intellectual disabilities. Uh, we have conducted some research studies before and one of them was focused on parents with intellectual disabilities. And as we kept on talking to uh, these parents, what kept on coming up more and more was that um, the parents talked about their lack of sexuality education when they were in school um as very often they were uh, th this is for mothers they were uh, they were surprised that they were pregnant didn't realize it could happen um and so on uh, and and we were really discussing then um whether sexuality education has changed um, over the years because uh, at the time of uh, Julie's schooling uh, schooling years, she had no sexuality education um, as it was perceived wrongly, of course, that as somebody with intellectual disability, she wouldn't need it. So we designed a study and we talked to um, uh, young girls, uh, high school students in New South Wales and their teachers and parents about uh, their sexuality education at school. Um, and it was really interesting what we found out. Some, some things were encouraging, some less encouraging. We definitely could uh, hear about topics that are still being excluded for this population. Um, for example, there is a lot of focus on you know, using contraception or sexually transmitted diseases, uh, but really not on planning for pregnancy. Um, yet we know that people with intellectual disability uh, disabilities do become parents. Uh, another another big topic that was missing was. Um, focus on other identities than heterosexuality. And so um, students talked about how, uh, for example, homosexuality is not talked about in school. Um, one of the students who herself identified as being a sexual and gender fluid talked about how difficult for it was for her to really understand to herself because these things are just taboo at school um, as topics um, in this area. Um, Another quite concerning finding was that, um, and it wasn't in all schools, of course, but but some teachers um, did not um, focus or include uh, in sexuality education topics such as domestic violence. Um, and yet we know that uh, people with intellectual disability are at least four times more likely to become victims of uh, domestic violence in their lives. And also they are very, uh, very much more likely to become uh, victims of sexuality abuse. Um, so, so there were some findings that indicated that uh, the sexuality education can improve uh, for this population for sure. And you recently received a grant from the New South Wales Department of Education to develop and implement some accessible methods so that you know, students with intellectual disability or high support needs could have 
that bigger say in the pattern and the trajectory of their education. Would you mind talking a little bit about that project and what's next? Oh, definitely. That's a, that's a beautiful and so exciting project. So I'm, I'm collaborating with uh, the Department of Education in New South Wales uh, with their disability strategy implementation team um, uh, on, a, on a project where we are using accessible surveys and also arts-based methods to give voice to students with a moderate to high support needs uh, to have a voice about their education. Um, and that came for, from a very well identified gap, uh, which is that uh, while students in New South Wales, uh, I mean students without disability, have uh, have uh, opportunity to have a say about their schooling experience by completing Tell Them From Me survey, um, the students with disability really do not have that opportunity. Not that uh, they couldn't complete the survey theoretically, but the survey is not accessible um, uh, for this population. So as you've just mentioned, when working with children of different ages with an intellectual disability, they sometimes can't express themselves in the way that atypical people would. So do you mind explaining? I know it's very normal uh, to your everyday work, but what does that experience actually look like? What is something like the photo voice method that you just mentioned or the body mapping method? And what does that tell you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so people, uh, I would just start with um, uh, elaborating because you are right. It's, it's very usual to my daily experience, but not not everybody uh, might know. Uh, people, uh, intellectual disability is a very wide, very wide term, um, and covers uh, uh, covers very wide range of abilities. Uh, of, uh, so some people would have just a mild intellectual disability, where uh, you you would really not be probably even uh, able to tell that they they would have intellectual disability they would maybe struggle with uh, abstract thinking a bit or uh, would need more concrete um, explanations of things uh, they would uh, these students need more accessible language uh, ideally easy read which is combination of pictures and 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 sentences with uh, not too complicated terms um and and these students can very easily uh, you know function with some support uh, in mainstream schools uh, but you can also have students who have uh, much higher support needs including those who would have limited or no verbal communication at all and who would have much more extensive cognitive impairment um, and so for these students it's really difficult to engage in in the typical way um, and really express their experiences um, and and perspectives. So giving them alternative tools other than um, reading or or speaking is quite essential. Um, example of a photo voice in this uh, in this um, context would be that um, we ask students to um, use 
iPad, which usually or tablet, uh, uh, which uh, which is usually accessible at uh, at schools where they are at, um, and they are supported by their teachers and asked to take pictures of things that they like about their school or that that make them happy at school. Um, and uh, and then when when they take the photos of these things or people, they communicate about it uh, with their teacher to explore it uh, in more depth. Uh, communicate in a way that uh, that they usually communicate. So it doesn't necessarily have to be verbal communication. And quite often, it's a lot of the onus is on the kids saying what they want. Uh, and trying to go through these uh, research projects to try and find that out Mm -hmm. and improve the way that uh, their education experience and their transition between Mm -hmm. different levels of education. But what might schools be able to do in your experience that actually makes it a more inclusive environment in the first place where those thoughts or those ideas from the children are able to flow through without them having to try so hard to undergo a research project like this? Oh, this is a brilliant question. Um, I I think that um, for me, the biggest thing is the uh, the attitudes that are held by um, different stakeholders in uh, the students' education. Um, very often uh, people underestimate uh, uh, those with intellectual disability. Um, uh, there is a some teachers might have uh, low expectations of these students. Uh, they might, because of lack of experience or maybe gaps in their education, uh, they might um, have uh, have a, how to put it, uh, they they might have lower expectations about the post-school outcomes of these students. So, for example, um, I've met with uh, mainstream school teachers who would think that uh, uh, their students with intellectual disabilities will end up uh, after school working in, you know, sheltered workshop or uh, being at home with parents, and they never even assumed that they could be employed in open um, employment, that they they could be in relationship, that they could become good parents. Um, and of course, if you if you are approaching your students with so much um, underestimation and such a low uh, expectations, you don't you don't challenge them in their education. Um, you you might even underestimate. Um, what they are trying to tell you or not take it seriously. And I think that's a, that's a huge, huge issue. So for me, the biggest thing is really um, teachers and school principals and anybody in the school uh, just being well informed about uh, uh, the kind of the whole lifespan picture uh, for this population that these, these students can can achieve uh, in their lives and that they can have families and um, that they can be employed and they can do all the other things that um, everybody or many people without disability do and have and that they that they do challenge them uh, not in an unrealistic expectations but definitely that they have high expectations and and uh, that they support uh, in uh, support these students in uh, in meeting these expectations 
And your projects, I know, also work towards the idea that these individuals should be growing up and engaging with policy in the world around them in the way that um, other individuals do because they are very much impacted by those policies and they need to know how to engage in them. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I think that's really critical. Um, and, it, you know, it's uh, this uh, we talked about at the beginning of this um, interview about inclusive research and about co-designing and co-producing research uh, with people with intellectual disability. And that does uh, uh, keep on happening now more widely um, and you know, uh, hopefully will uh, even increase uh, across different areas, not just education, but what might be of interest to your um, to your uh, targeted aud- audience, which are general practitioners. Um, it also is now being increasingly used in health research. Um, so um, there are research studies where people with intellectual disabilities are co-researchers and explore their experiences with general practitioners and um, how they are uh, how they are being treated whether whether they are offered um, the same the same opportunities let's say as as their patients uh, who do not have intellectual disability for example yes i was actually going to ask about that i know that in medicine there's often uh, an issue here where sometimes people with intellectual disability aren't offered the same treatment that mm. would be age appropriate to someone without an intellectual disability. So you might have someone who is hospitalized with an intellectual disability and they're not treated the same way that say a individual without an intellectual disability who's 30 years of age would be treated. They're sometimes treated like they're aged or different to um is this something that you come across quite regularly oh don't get me started unfortunately absolutely yes um there is very often uh, people with intellectual disability are treated as children um while they are uh, adults um i think that's that's uh, that's one thing where we where we definitely can improve um another very typical experience that uh, people with intellectual disability complain um, about um, is that they when they come to the medical practitioner um, d- uh, the doctor or nurse or whoever it is automatically talks to their parent or the, uh, uh, if there are a student uh, if, if it's an adult uh, they will talk to, to anybody that accompany them uh, there so they they kind of like don't even approach uh, straightforwardly the person with intellectual disability which is of course offending um, another so th- there are issues about approach um, as you said rightly age appropriate or just directly engaging with the person um, I think it's also just about being um, uh, respectful Another big issue that is identified in research and we know about it, people with intellectual disability are often not uh, offered the same treatment as uh, as would people without disability, so which can have a, a very severe impact on their health. Um, uh, and it can be treatment or examination. We know from research that um, uh, people with intellectual disability are less 
less often uh, encouraged to have, for example, screening for cervical cancer and and uh, with uh, talking about women, of course, with uh, and very often the assumption identified well in the research is that uh, these women wouldn't need it because they don't live sexual sexually, and that's of course not not true. Um, and that that then leads into more incidences of cancer and unnecessary death of of this population. So there are huge inequities that can be addressed uh, in health. And just to end with, what are your hopes to get out of uh, these educational projects where you co-design with people with intellectual disability? I just really want to encourage um, and somehow contribute uh, that people with intellectual disability have a say about things that are important to them, that really matter in their lives, um, that they can impact uh, things that uh, that influence them, uh, being uh, policies or uh, everyday experiences and encounters with other people. So I, I just would love to at least somehow contribute to their better lives to better quality of life thank you so much for joining me on the program and for sharing all your interesting research with me thank you for having me because this again gives an opportunity for people to hear about these issues so i'm really happy that you invited me thank you If you want to listen to episodes you may have missed or if you want to subscribe to this podcast, just search for The Medical Republic on your favourite podcast server or you can listen to all the episodes directly on our website. That's medicalrepublic.com.au. Catch you next time.